This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guests are Raghu Marcus and Parvati Marcus. Raghu has been involved in music and transformational media since the early 1970s. In 1974, he collaborated with Ramdas on the box set Love, Serve, Remember, and is currently the executive director of the Love, Serve, Remember Foundation. Parvati Marcus is a developmental editor and writer of spiritually oriented nonfiction books and memoirs. Her new book, Love Everyone, The Transcendent Wisdom of Neem Karoli Baba, told through the stories of the Westerners whose lives he transformed, is a celebration of Neem Karoli Baba, one of the most influential spiritual teachers of our time, the divine guru, who inspired and led a generation of seekers. With Sounds True, Raghu has closely collaborated with Ramdas to create a new online course called Being Here Now, the essential teachings of Ramdas, an eight-week course that begins on September 19th. For more information about Being Here Now, the essential teachings of Ramdas, please visit SoundsTrue.com. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Raghu, Parvati, and I spoke about miraculous meetings with Neem Karoli Baba, known as Maharaji, and how these encounters impacted a host of influential teachers, including Daniel Goleman, Larry Brilliance, Krishnadas, and of course, Ramdas. We talked about what it might mean to actually love everyone, and how Raghu was delighted to find a photo of, you guessed it, Donald Trump on Ram Dass's puja table in Maui during his most recent visit. And finally, we listened to an excerpt from the new course, Being Here Now, The Essential Teachings of Ram Dass. This is an excerpt from the mid-1970s in which Ram Dass teaches on the essence of karma yoga. He talks about how to keep our hearts open and how we can stay light and uplifted even in the midst of terrible suffering. Interestingly, and you'll hear in this clip, this was recorded more than 30 years ago, and yet it sounds like Ram Dass could be addressing our particular situation today. Here's my conversation with Parvati and Raghu Marcus. Parvati, you've written a new book called Love Everyone, which tells stories about, really, I would call it the living legacy, if you will, of Neem Karoli Baba. That's a wonderful way to put it. A great Indian saint of the 20th century. And I wonder, to begin with, if you would introduce to our listeners, who is Neem Karoli Baba? (laughs) Uh, It seems like a simple question, but it really isn't. 
what we knew about him when we were in India with him was very little. I mean, we just knew what we were experiencing with him, which was just incredible, unconditional love. And we knew he was associated with uh, the, god, the monkey god Hanuman, because that was in his temples. Um, it was after he left his body that certain people in India started learning a lot more about who he had been, that he'd been married, that his father was, very, was a wealthy landowner in his village, and I believe head of his village, and that uh, Maharaji, when he was young, used to be running off all the time to try to be with the saints, I guess. And his father got him married at the age of uh, something like nine or ten, you know, where they arrange a marriage. And so he was married, uh, and he eventually had children and grandchildren. We knew nothing about that when we were with him. Um, we learned about some of the austerities that he had done uh, when he was younger. But really, we don't know a lot of factual stuff about him because it was really irrelevant to what we were experiencing in our arts with him. Mm -hmm. How did you meet Neem Karoli Baba? <laughs> well, basically through uh, meeting Ram Dass after he came back from his first trip to India. Um, he was, the first time I met Ram Dass, I was driven up the driveway of his father's farm in New Hampshire, and Ram Dass was standing out there, and I could see him glowing. I saw light coming from him, which completely blew my mind. And eventually I learned that light was, you know, he was bringing Maharaji to the West. That's what he had, and that's what we wanted, and that's why we went to India. Okay, bringing the light of Maharaji through the light that you saw in Ramdas. This all sounds very mystical. <laughs> and even as I mentioned that Neem Karoli Baba, who many people call Maharaji, was an Indian saint, I noticed this use of the word saint. It's not a, a word you hear thrown around very much in today's world, certainly in the West. Right. And so I'm wondering, first of all, what does that mean to you that Maharaji was known as a saint? Saint. Well, to me, what it means is that he was a fully enlightened being. Uh, another term for it in India is Siddha, S-I-D-D-H-A. He was a Siddha. In other words, one who was totally accomplished. He had finished his work. He was one with it all as he let us know over and over again, simply by telling us things about ourselves that nobody could know. <laughs> um, so that to me was a saint. It was not, you know, a statue in a church somewhere. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to go more into this, this idea that somebody knows all of these things about you. And is that mm -hmm. a qualification to be quote unquote, fully enlightened? And what might fully enlightened mean? We're going to, we're going to get into all of that, but I want to bring Raghu into our conversation, who's the executive director of Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and also the person who's partnered with Sounds True to create a new online course called Being Here Now on the Essential Teachings of Ram Dass. Raghu, welcome. How did right. you meet you. Maharaji? How did you first connect with Maharaji? Was it through Ram well, Dass? It's all, yep, yep, it's through Ram Dass. Um, I was uh, the program director of a major rock and roll station in Montreal, where I'm from, 
and uh, somebody called and said, hey, would you announce the fact that Ramdas is giving a lecture at McGill? And I had no idea who Ramdas was or what a Ramdas was. Uh, so he told me, oh, you know, Richard Alpert and Tim Leary. And of course, I loved them because of the psychedelic era and the days that we were all part of. And I asked him to send a tape over. He sent a tape over of a previous lecture. I went into a studio and instantly got everything he was saying. He answered so many questions that I had about my own life and about what reality potentially was. And then I put it on the air and it lit up the switchboard in the middle of the week. And, oh, God, I mean, people were just could I'd not believe what they were hearing. And then I went and I brought him to the station. I interviewed him. And from that point on, <clears throat> we had a, a relationship as a student and then as a friend. And I went to India as a result of that because just like Parvati, I saw in him something that I totally trusted. And I wanted to experience it myself. And uh, finally, after badgering him, I went to India just after he did the second time and finally did meet up with uh, Neem Karoli Baba. And, you know, you're talking just now about saints and what a saint is. Uh, in India, there many, many people are known as saints. And not all of them, uh, shall we say, have the qualifications of a true, what they call Satguru in India, necessarily. So it's a highly... Uh, colloquialized uh, word at this point like so same as guru is actually in the West um, but there that what Parvati was mentioning that word Siddha which means totally accomplished being that being is living in non-duality but in a body still that would be the experience that that we had it's the experience I had when I first met Maharaji uh, it was like meeting a, a there was no back and forth. It was like being with a computer who just did the right thing. There was absolutely no object, subject, no polarization whatsoever. It was just being in a pool where that entity just did the right thing. And for the first time, we felt, not just I, that feeling home is probably the best word. And when you read many of the stories and love everyone, that is probably the most common word people use to describe what it, what it felt like. Home, unconditional love. We had never been loved in that way previously in our life. Aside from all the miraculous stuff of him presciently knowing stuff from our past, future, uh, and, and whatever on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, that really is, is uh, I think, the correct uh, description of what Maharaji is. You've both mentioned the fact that he was prescient. He knew what was in your mind. And in the book, Love Everyone, there are tons of miracle stories, if you will, yeah. in Maharaji's presence. And first of all, I'd love for you to give our listeners a taste of some of the miracle stories that you yourselves both witnessed. Well, I can certainly give you one that started in America and that he brought up when I arrived in India, which was that after that summer of being in New Hampshire with Ram Dass in the summer of 69, um, I went back to New York and I was going to go get a job so I could make money to go to India. 
But in the meantime, I wound up um, splitting a tab of acid with an old college friend and having a trip that went on for several days. And as I was coming down, I was getting very scared. But I couldn't call Ramdas. He was off in Llama Foundation, um, where they had no phone at the time. I hadn't yet met you know, another teacher. And I knew no one to call about what was going on. So I sat in front of this little black and white picture of Maharaji that Ramdas had given me that summer, clutching my wooden mala beads that Ramdas had given me that summer and saying over and over again to Maharaji, I'm scared and you've got to help me. I'm scared and you've got to help me. And the picture dissolved in blue light and I could see Maharaji there. And it was only for a second, but it was enough for me to lie down, go through whatever I had to go through. And everything was okay. Needless to say, after that, I got a much larger picture of Maharaji. And I did everything in my life in front of that picture. I talked to it all the time. But back then, you didn't tell people that you talked to pictures. Mm-hmm. It just, but now, Parvati, was that, this was at the end of an LSD trip that you were that on? That was at the end of an LSD trip. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, isn't it reasonable for someone to think, well, you know, you were tripping. Well, And, of course, sure. you saw the picture do all kinds of things. Well, no, I actually only saw it do that one thing. I had long since passed the peak of the trip. This was like day two. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it wasn't like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, would see him periodically in the picture completely in a normal state of consciousness, you know. Uh, Well, not tripping, let's put it that way. Uh Anyway, when I got to India and my very first darshan with Maharaji, at one point he looked at me and he said, you used to talk to my picture all the time. He said, you asked many questions. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> and this he did on a day-to-day basis. But it, it wasn't that, you know, it, it was many, many things. I mean, I went there one day and, and he said, um, Gee, did you just meet a Tibetan Lama? And I go, Tibetan Lama? Well, we were supposed to have a, a Buddhist teacher come and uh, we were supposed to get some teaching. He said, no, Tibet, Tibet, Tibet Lama. You didn't have darshan of a Tibet Lama? And then he went and gave you uh, teachings for 45 minutes? I go, no, I've never even met a Tibetan, never mind a Lama. And I went to the next thing I knew, I was in Delhi because I was trying to get my passport renewed. And uh, while I was there, I was actually at the house of... Uh, the Canadian High Commissioner, actually at the, uh, the High Commissioner's residence, and he was a friend of the fellow I worked for at the radio station in Montreal. So I said, "By the by, the way, is it true that Canadians, uh, that Canada is letting in uh, Tibetan refugees?" Which I had read in the paper, and he said, "Yeah, no, that's true." And as a matter of fact, and he just uh, pointed to a door which opened up and out walked Kalu Rinpoche, one of the great, great lamas of the last century. And I ended up uh, being taken into a room with him and given teachings for half an hour, 30, 40 minutes uh, by Kalu himself. And of course, as soon as I realized, oh my God, (laughs) that this was happening, um, I was pretty tripped out for about a week on that one. Mm-hmm. You know, how could this all be possible? So he did stuff like that all the time. It wasn't, uh, he wasn't, 
It could have been something in the past. It could have been something in the future. And that was just, all of it was so obviously just to break our minds down from thinking that we were that mind, that ego, those senses. I mean, that would seem like an obvious uh, way that, that uh, we had the karma to get that all shattered. And once that got shattered, then we could actually start to relate with more true nature of who we really were. I want to ask you both what I think might come off as sounding like a challenging question, but I'm, I'm really curious how you'll respond in terms of the current zeitgeist, if you will, in the Western world, which seems very much it's looking for evidence-based practices, mindfulness and other practices where we can document this is how people are changing, this is what's going on in the brain, and that the time, if you will, going along with this logic here, the time of the Indian guru is over. Yes, this was in the you know, 70s, the 60s, 70s. It's not making it into the 21st century. Indian saints, thing of the past. I'm curious how you respond to that. Well, um, <laughs> I think there will always be saints in India or here. I don't know. I think that as we evolve in consciousness, there are always going to be these beings that are here to guide us or to, you know, even if it's just vibrationally and we don't even meet them. But I believe they're always present. At least some of them are. <laughs> Raghu? Um. You know, this thing in the West, uh, you know, of course, around mindfulness and, and some of the things that are going on in terms of uh, science and uh, study of the brain and you know, the Dalai Lama himself has, is doing fantastic work with uh, scientists like Richie Davidson. Uh, around just this kind of a thing and you know he's saying yeah this is starting to prove out what we have um, what we have studied and uh, for centuries fleshed out thousands and of gotten, years yeah yeah thousands yeah, well yeah uh, but also how yeah. yeah but and particularly around the tibetans right who have all of these teachings like termas which get revealed by different um, um, Tibetan Rinpoche saints, shall we say, if you want to use that term loosely. Um, and uh, so I, th I think that's a natural thing, and, and I think the fact that this stuff is getting proven out through scientific investigation is, is all you know, really wonderful. But I also truly believe that the, that in many cases, in my own experience with people, um, that they're uh, delving and using non-dual uh, thought sometimes leaves out the heart. Uh, and I think that that is a tough situation for us in the West because we are so used to the glory of our minds. And... Um, and I think that these beings will always be there because they, sitting with them, and I've sat with one recently myself who, in India who's a very free being, one of these Babas, and they remind your heart. I think that's a huge thing that 
needs to be um, brought into the into what people are doing with mindfulness practices and so on and so forth. I mean, our tradition is, as you know, Tammy, very very centered around using uh, chant and mantra uh, through as a heart opening practice, alongside of. Uh, what many of us that were in India with Maharaji have taken teachings through Tibetan teachers and so on, um, which is a, kind of an unusual thing for a bhakti yoga tradition. Um, and in fact, in Maharaji's temple in India, the one that we went to, um, it, it said on, on the sign as you walk through the temple, uh, non-dual, this is a non-dual Hanuman temple. I mean, so that is kind of our tradition. And in that way, uh, I don't know if this is addressing completely the question of uh, the continuation of the importance of these beings being in our lives uh, through, uh, you know, being born in India or maybe they're going to be born in America like some Tibetan uh, uh, reincarnations have in, in, in the recent past. So I think it's tremendously important that there are examples of people who are a free, a f just call it a free being, who can share their hearts in this way that helps us open ours. Thank you. I think that's a beautiful response. And what it brings me to is the title of the book that Parvati has written, Love Everyone. And you know, you're Raghu, you're the executive director of the Love Serve Remember Foundation. <laughs> so this Love Serve Remember, love everyone. How did Maharaji teach you to love everyone? That seems pretty difficult, if not impossible. <laughs> well, he did it really through uh, one main phrase, which was sub ek, it's all one. And if it's all one, and if you and I are one, how can I not love you? <laughs> um, as I've said to some other people, it doesn't mean you're necessarily going to like everyone, but you're going to recognize and acknowledge that they are a soul just like you. And in that place, when you, you know, in that place of the soul, in that place of spirit, whatever you want to call it, in that place of love, we are one and we do love everyone. I mean, Ramdas over and over said to Maharaji, you know, Maharaji would say to him, love everyone. And he would say, I can't. <laughs> and Maharaji would say, yes, you can do it. I guess what I'm curious about is it sounds good, but how is it actually going in your life? This loving well, <laughs> everyone. I'd, just, I'd be curious <laughs> it, to know for real. For real. Uh, for real. It's like, um, I don't know if I can use a political example, <laughs> but maybe I shouldn't. But let's say there's somebody who really upsets you because he's spouting values that don't seem very humane to you. I think our listeners are with you. Okay. <laughs> and let's say that you're looking at that person and you're going, I just can't stand, you know, what's going on here. But it's still, you know, there's still a place where you can recognize that this person has been chosen for this role, just like Ravana in the epics of India, who looks like a really bad guy, but in the end, he's just trying to be killed by God, you know? <laughs> so in other words, he's playing a role. He's bringing up all our, 
all the things that are dying from the patriarchal age. And I can have compassion for that. And in that place, I can say I love him. I can't say I like him. But do you hear the difference? Of course. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, interestingly enough, I, uh, as I, I mentioned to uh, Tammy earlier, I just arrived last night in Maui to visit Ramdas, so it's kind of good timing. And I looked at his altar. I just walked in this morning, and I looked at his altar. And guess who was there? Mm-hmm. Donald Trump. And I said, that's interesting. You've got him on your altar. And he has a, a history of putting uh, polarized people on his altars so that he can get beyond their personality, their, uh, let's say, their, their particular attachment to that incarnation and that mission that they feel that they have. However we, however we may feel about it, they, that Ramdas his whole thing is to get behind that to the soul uh, because absolutely we are all interconnected. There is no way around that we're going to get around that. And so that is uh, his particular little practice. He puts, he's got that beautiful little picture of Trump on his uh, mantelpiece on, on his uh, puja table. Um, Love everyone. Extraordinarily difficult. None of us that were in India uh, can vouch. Ramdas is a good example, though. I do see Ramdas, and I see him with everybody, and he stops his world for everybody that walks by. I, I remember, uh, like he's in a wheelchair, as many of you know. He had a stroke almost twenty years ago, and I was once uh, at an event with him, and I was wheeling him, and we were late for something, and I was kind of pushing it, pushing the wheelchair. Uh, energetically trying to get out of the room and somebody really wanted to stop and talk to him and he just he just touched me and made me know I you know stop and he stopped his world and he became fully present with that being like that being was the only person in the world there was nobody else and so he actually has engaged that concept probably better than anybody that I have met that's not, quote-unquote, a free saint being, uh, whatever, Siddha, whatever we want to call it. I mean, you know, Ramdas is certainly a teacher and, and a very high being. But I, that is the way that we can pay attention to somebody and give them that full presence. That's love, everyone for sure. The way that we can uh, address our polarizations with people who we don't agree with, that's love everyone. Just addressing it. There's, there's no way that we can be fully there. We, you know, that's going to, that's going to take a lot of work and, you know, a lot of years, but that certainly is uh, to me being fully present and attention and fully attentive to somebody that's love everyone. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs 
and receive three free gifts just for visiting us. Go to soundstrue.com backslash free. That's soundstrue.com backslash free. And now, back to Insights at the Edge. Now, Raghu, you mentioned that you were on the radio in Montreal. You must have, what, been in your 20s, something like that? Yep. And you played some audio by Ramdas on the radio, and that it not only really got your attention, but it got your attention of your listeners. And I want to do that right now. I'd like to play for people an excerpt from this course that you've helped Sounds True put together, Being Here Now, The Essential Teachings of Ramdas. And this is a section where Ramdas is talking about karma yoga or the path of service. And I wonder if you can just say a few words about the clip and then we'll take a listen. This, again, this is something that we got from Neem Karoli Baba, from Maharaji. The way that there was nobody who came anywhere near him that didn't get served food, number one. That was a big thing. Maharaji's thing around food was number one. Everybody needs to be fed. There should be no people going hungry. So all day long, bags of food would keep coming out from the back and given to people. Uh, And he would sit there and listen to everybody's worldly troubles and respond to them however which way they needed responding to and uh, when we people we were young right and so people would say to him what Maharaji what do we do how do we raise Kundalini you know we wanted some yogic uh, you know, philosophy about, uh, you know, practice. We want, how do we get there? And he would say, feed people and serve them. That's how you get your Kundalini to rise. So he, we were constantly, constantly um, given this idea of service. And Can I say something for a second? That, uh, yeah. I just wanted to say that in Love Everyone, one of the reasons that I put in short bios of everybody whose story is in there is so you could see how they took Maharaji's teachings and the seeds that were planted in us at that time and how they all wound up serving in one way or another. It was a very, very important part of what we learned. Well, I think it's important to say too, Parvati, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, that we're talking about a pretty influential cast of characters yes. <laughs> that came into contact with Maharaji, including Daniel Goleman, Krishna Das, mm-hmm. Mirabai Dr. Bush, Lama mm-hmm. Surya Das. I mean, these are, these are people who have been tremendous movers and shakers in the last three decades in terms of bringing consciousness and service to the world. So that's, and even ones who didn't point. become big names in whatever field they were in were still doing their work in the world in the most conscious and compassionate way they could. You know, there were people helping on all levels, whether it was through, you know, acupuncture or through, you know, doing honest real estate deals. You know, whatever it was they were doing, they were doing their best 
to keep that in mind. All right, let's listen to this excerpt from the Being Here Now course with Ramdas. So what's happened is that my own suffering has turned from not anything I say, come on, give me more suffering. I mean, I'm not a masochist. But when the suffering comes along, and it does come along, it comes along because your heart becomes more and more open because as you go deeper in spiritual life, you love people more and more, and then their suffering is your suffering. And there's a pain. Now, what it's interesting. What I do with my suffering is I use it for my spiritual growth. But I can't say to anybody else, if somebody comes up and says, hey man, you got any money I haven't eaten in two days and I'm really suffering. Gee, that's great. You could do great work with that. You feel how wrong that feels? You can't tell another human being that they should use their suffering to awaken. All you can do is use your suffering to awaken. You can see that the root cause of suffering is the clinging of mind and that if you're suffering, it's because the mind is clinging. And they get, those moments get heavy. Those moments get really heavy to work with. Now, how you respond to somebody else's suffering, is this too heavy or are you all here? How you respond to somebody else's suffering. See, there's a difference between how you respond to your own suffering once you start to awaken and how you respond to someone else's suffering. Someone else's suffering is part of our suffering. But what the totality is, is that person is totally identified with their suffering. And that hurts. And you can't manipulate them. You can merely create a space where if they would like to use their suffering, they could. But in the meantime, you feel compelled out of the truth of your compassion, because you and they are one, to do something about their suffering to relieve it. So you're in the funny position where for somebody else's suffering, you'll act to get rid of it, even though you know that at some level, suffering can be grace. Suffering can help one awaken. Because you appreciate that people are at different levels of their evolutionary readiness. And some people are absolutely ripe to use their suffering to grow and others aren't. It's not blame, it's not lesser, it's just different. It's just different. I go into one hospital room and a person is dying and they're in the last stages and they completely want to deny they're dying and everybody around them is in a conspiracy to deny they're dying. And it's none of my business to say anything except to just be there and be loving walk into another room and the person says to me, what do you think is happening to me? And I say, I think you're dying. And then we work with that and what it awakens and the fear and that person is asking for it. The license between us is different than the license was with the other person. So when you're dealing with fears in other people or in the universe, there are a couple of things to work on from a spiritual point of view. 
One is to open to suffering, to not use mechanisms of defense against it, denial and defense. Now you say, but I can't do that because my heart will break because there's so much of it. But as you proceed in cultivating the part of your awareness that lies behind the drama of life, it deepens a place in you of equanimity and non-judgment that just looks at the universe as it is and in effect says, ah, so. I remember once I was in India with my guru and the whole scene in Bangladesh, very bad scene was going on. I was very, very upset by it. So many people dying and starving. And Maharaji looked at me and he said, don't you see it's all perfect? I said, no, I don't. He said, don't you see it's all perfect? Now, he didn't mean it is just perfect. What he was doing was reminding me of the plane of reality where law is unfolding. Like there are laws that keep this building up. There are laws that determine the way your body is digesting food. There are laws of interpersonal relations. There's laws the way the thought process works. There are laws that explain why there's violence, why there's greed, why there's lust and hatred and ill will and sloth and torpor and doubt. There are laws about all this. In fact, it's all lawful. Every form in the universe is related to every other form in the universe lawfully. So if you could stand back far enough, you could see that when this person comes up and does this thing, this other person is going to hit them. And then this person is going to suffer. Now that suffering that the person experiences opens your heart because that's part of the law of your humanity. But the other part of your awareness looks at all of it and says, perfect. It's just the law unfolding. In other words, what I'm saying to you is you cultivate two planes of reality that you acknowledge simultaneously. Put simply, from the heart's point of view, suffering stinks. And from the higher awareness point of view, it's all just the unfolding of law and it's doing its thing perfectly. And the capacity to have both of those is what the root of true compassion is about. Otherwise, when things get bad on this plane, you start to say to God, why did you screw up? Because if I were God, I wouldn't have done this. But after a while, you see that that part of you that gets angry against the system of the universe is part of the form of the universe itself. It's part of the conditioned mind, it's called. And that you are reducing yourself to a thing when you think that. 
you're the now you're the the, the the character in the book rather than the reader or the author of the book. But you're actually all of these things. The author sees that it's perfect. The actor doesn't see that at all. See, I may say to the universe, I don't understand why children have to die. I don't understand why AIDS has to exist. I don't understand why there has to be so much violence. But I, there's something in me that knows enough not to say that it's all wrong. All I can say is I don't understand it. And my heart hurts and I'll do my best to stop the suffering. And to be able to acknowledge those two levels of your own existence, your heart hurts and you do what you can to relieve the suffering in other people. And at the same moment, there's part of you that is perfectly in equanimity and saying, it is as it is. And that is quite a program because it allows you to move. Like I work because I want to be free so badly or goodly, I work with the sufferings that are often the most intense, the sufferings around death. The sufferings, now I'm starting to work with the sufferings that come from ethnic prejudice. And they hurt. As I said yesterday, I think this friend of my rabbi, uh, Zalman Shachter, said to me, we have to learn to grieve with one another. We have to learn to let our hearts break for another person's pain. We have to share our pain. But just doing that sucks you into the stuff so deeply that pretty soon you'll burn out and you'll start to defend because you can't, it's unbearable. The suffering is immeasurable. What are you gonna do? You can't get rid of it. It's gonna go on and on and on. Suffering is, it's part of this plane of reality. The people that burn out in, in action, in caring action, in therapy, in social work, in community work, in any kind of service work, or in any kind of action, burn out specifically because of where their head is at in regard to the act they're performing. They don't usually burn out that they are physically done in, they are psychologically done in is what they mean when they say I burned out. So now suffering, as long as you're, how you react to suffering is a key point of whether or not you will burn out. Because to the extent you can keep your heart open in hell and let it keep breaking again and again and again. Oh, my heart's broken, somebody says to me. I say, fine, it'll mend and then it'll break again and it'll mend and it'll break again. It's okay. People feel I'm not romantic enough because they really want to milk them, my heart's broken. Yes, your heart's broken. It may take you a couple of years to grieve over your loss and then something else will happen. The qualities, the, the, the ability to stay open in the presence of suffering because you have cultivated a place in you that acknowledges that there is, there is the Tao, there is a wisdom in the lawful unfolding of the universe. It's not good, it's not a good guy or good girl up there, and it's not bad, it just is. It's a set of phenomena occurring. 
that is a key component of being able to do karma yoga. Wow. Listening to Ramdas, it's like he could be speaking today. His comments are so relevant and timely and meaningful in our current landscape, even though that was recorded yeah. more than three decades ago. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's so relevant. And, and that's the key and what he's represented all these years, which is I work on myself so that I can become free. And in that work, I serve others at the same time. And, uh, you know, there's no fear on his part to do so. And I, th I think that uh, that's just the absolute essence of what uh, true karma yoga is. And uh, Tammy, can I go back? I just was thinking while, while Ram Dass was talking about one thing around love everyone before we move on. Sure. Um, you know, that question of how do you love everyone and what did you get when you were with Neem Karoli Baba in India? And I think that Dr. Larry Brilliant's story in the book Love Everyone uh, is, the, is really the essence of, of what was transmitted to us. And that's one day after going through, he went through a whole bunch of different negative, cynical stuff uh, until he had a shattering of the mind uh, one day. And you can read about that in the book. But more to the point was after that happened, he found himself sitting in a group of Westerners with Maharaji and then this overwhelming feeling of love came to him and he said uh, well I expected I was going to be loved by the guru by the saint that's that's normal that's his job but what I didn't expect was to love everyone around me in that one moment he had this tremendous uh, wave come over him of just absolutely being at one with everybody he was sitting with in that moment. And that was a major realization for him of love everyone. And it's really, uh, I just wanted to throw that in there because that it's such a powerful moment in the book. And it comes from the statement that Maharaji said all the time, which was love everyone, serve everyone, and remember God. That was our basic instruction. That was the teaching. It was not long lectures. It was not anything for the mind. It was love everyone, serve everyone, remember God. And what does that last part, remember God, what does that mean to you? Well, that, well as Raghu was talking about Ramdas, of being able to be totally present with somebody, to listen with your heart, um, that to me is reconnecting with the place in you that's the same as the place in the other. And that place where you are one, it goes back to Sabek. That's how you get there. You love everyone, you serve everyone, and you remember that we all have that divinity within us. Okay, I'm going to confess something now, which is whenever I read a book that is about Maharaji or a book by Ramdas or in some of the conversations I've had for Sounds True as a host that focus on Maharaji, I sense something that I would say is this loving field that's being invoked. And I can feel it here 
-hmm. this conversation. And I'm bringing it up because I'm imagining listeners who might be thinking, you know, hey, you know, I didn't, I never met Neem Karoli Baba, that he died before I was even on the spiritual path, or I never made it to India. And how could somebody who wants to tune in, if you will, to that love signature of Maharaji, how do they do that? What would be your suggestion? How could you point them to that? Well, well, first of all, let's remember let's remember one thing that this isn't Maharaji, that body in India that we met. This love that is represented that we're talking about. This I love the word you just said, signature, is is really from that same place that we all access at different times in our lives. Uh, it's that ineffable place. It may be through you, you took a psychedelic and you got into that feeling of complete love and oneness in a moment. It may be through a piece of music. It may be through a poem. We've all had that. I mean, my first experience was uh, a John Coltrane uh, concert that I went to when I was 15, luckily enough. And he played my favorite things. And I went into that place. So there, we all have a recognition. And that place isn't associated with a physical body uh, necessarily. I mean, Maharaji himself said that it is not necessarily necessary for a guru to be in a physical form. And I, I personally do believe that we all have that guide deep inside of us that manifests at one point in our lives and uh, it does not need to be physical. So that's, you know, absolutely uh, the case. And, uh, as far as um, uh, being able to connect with it, I mean, in this particular case, uh, Maharaji has certainly, since he left that body in 1973, through through some of Rambas's books, through this book, Love Everyone, we're getting feedback of people reading a story, and and suddenly something happens that opens them up in a certain way that they haven't previously felt uh, in that particular way that is so meaningful for them or people have dreams or uh, people have, uh, I mean, I could tell you wild stories that I, I just, Krishnadas just told me about somebody, uh, Parvati, you don't even know this. This is great. A young kid, 23-year-old kid uh, wrote to Krishnadas and said, uh, I have got to go see Ramdas. Can you help me get there? Because the other day, um, I, I, and I'm not particularly, his parents were into, you know, were hippies and into the path and all that, but he wasn't particularly. And, uh, this is a really wild story, by the way, everybody out there. So you, you know, you can uh, take it with a grain of salt if you like. But, uh, this kid was walking along and an old man came up to him and said, just point blank, love everyone. And he went, yeah, right. <laughs> Who's going to love everyone. And he walked away. And then for a week, he kept, that person kept bumping into him. I mean, he kept meeting him. And he was like, what the hell is this? And then he went to somebody's house and he opened Be Here Now and he started reading it because a friend liked it. And he came to a picture of Maharaji and he, go, and he went, he just fell down because that was who it was. And he was like freaked out for about a week until he... He did some research and he found Krishnadas. 
the long and the short of it is he came to Maui to meet Ramdas and Krishnadas just hooked him up with Ramdas the other day. So who knows, you know, the ways of these beings are beyond any kind of understanding and everyone who is supposed to meet somebody like that, meets somebody like that, or, or has some experience that leads them inside themselves to find that place because it is not external. Uh, there's a great story in Love Everyone from Lama Suryadas, and uh, it's, it's about his experience of he met Maharaji, he went to an actual house where we were, all were, and Maharaji was in his room and not available, and he sat in front of the, the, the bench where Maharaji uh, usually sat, and he had a complete experience of Maharaji, what he called the big Maharaji, like that which is the reality of unconditional love that is inside all of us. Then he went and saw Maharaji, the physical being, and he, he understood that the experience he had was with the Maharaji, that which is unconditional love, was so beyond the physical body that he was like, he couldn't believe it. So that thing is available all the time, and I call it a thing, uh, to everyone. And it's just a matter of, of the, as Ram Das was talking in that lecture, everything, it's all lawful in this universe. And whoever is, opens up in a certain way, in a certain moment with whatever teacher or saint or guru, we will all be led to that place eventually where our hearts open and we have a compassionate relationship with the world and with the people in it. And of course, I recommend looking at pictures. <laughs> One of the things that's interesting to me is, and this goes back to what I was saying about our current zeitgeist, that it seems that people want their hearts to open, and yet at the same time, the idea of falling down at the feet of another human being, being, if you will, a devotee, is not particularly in fashion right now. Because it's not something that happens from your mind. That's why. It's like I met any number of so-called saints, you know, holy men from India, um, who were very, very well regarded by millions of people. And when I met them, I couldn't bow down at their feet. I mean, there was nothing in me that thought that that was something I wanted to do or even that I needed to do in any way. I kept thinking, well, maybe there was something wrong with me. Maybe my heart wasn't open, whatever it was. I couldn't bow down to them. When I met Maharaji, it was instantaneous. It was an instantaneous surrender, the surrender that is no surrender. It's not something that happens with your mind. You can't think your way to it, or you can't think, oh, that's something I'll never do. I mean, you can think that. But the reality is, for almost all of us, I mean, you can read it in story after story. Mirabai says she walked off the bus the first time she met Maharaji. And, she, and you know, she, she was coming out of a teaching that was very against gurus. And she instantly fell at his feet. It's just something that happens by, you know, within you that can't be denied. One thing I'm curious about is how devotion works for each of you as a contemporary path, if you will. 
How does your devotion work on you? It's always a reminder. I mean, to me, Maharaji is a constant reminder that, uh, you know, of, of the path, of the work that I'm doing here. It's, um, in other words, you're, you're sort of surrendering to the concept that the, your purpose in being here is spiritual evolution, and thank God for these beings who are there to take you along the path. Raghu? But let's, yeah, let's, let's not forget one important thing. You're talking about devotion and talking about teaching, uh, touching the feet of a guru. And I mean, and, and by the way, none of us who went to India are any different than anyone listening to this, to this podcast of yours. We all were cynical about it. We all were like, what in the hell is that? And as Parvati said, there was no mind at all when we met this particular being, Maharaji. There was no mind at all. But what is it really? It's really returning to ourselves. It's, it's devotion to that place inside of us that is beyond our duality, beyond our polarization, beyond our us and them. It's about really opening up and allowing, uh, as Ramdas said in that talk that you just played, allowing suffering to be and not running away from it and uh, devotion is a practice to allow the heart to open where it's not running away from these from the world mm -hmm. and from every day uh, as the buddha said this is suffering is present and how do we make friends with it is 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 the big question and and why uh you know i feel really blessed above all things uh to have a practice that uh, allows the heart to open and um at the same time you know we uh, are are taking advantage of the of the different traditions particularly the buddhist tradition that um you know allows for a framework uh, to, to for us to connect with a framework of, of, of reality um, and how, how it all really is. But again, back to, it's the, the devotion aspect is about opening up our hearts so that we are not walking around in fear. We have trust. I'm going to ask you each just one final question. Parvati, tell me from the book Love Everyone, what was the one moment that touched you, if you will, the most in the whole book, if you could do it? The one few sentences, paragraph. Oh, well, let me put it this way. I mean, as an author, you, you write and you rewrite and you reread the manuscript over and over and over again. And every time I read the manuscript, something different would catch me and I would start crying. I mean, I can't give you a one example because at each different moment, it would be something else that would strike my heart. And even though I knew these inside out, <laughs> reading it again would suddenly touch something in me mm. and would bring out tears. Mm. Okay, and then, Raghu, here you compiled the various teachings that are making up Being Here Now, this online course that covers the essential teachings of Ramdas. Tell me for you, what was mm. the part of that process that really 
went in deep and touched you in a special way? Well, first of all, it's, you know, I've been involved in this material. We've been creating at the foundation a uh, digital asset uh, management to of all of these assets. And in fact, we of, of Ramdas's talks and videos from uh, what it's, uh, it's four to five decades. And so in the middle of doing all of that, of course, you came along and said, hey, we'd like to do this course. And then I thought, okay, well, we're not quite ready. We don't have all these assets lined up. So we had to do a lot of uh, a lot of research to find exactly what would be the most essential, because uh, Ramdas has talked about all of these subjects in such great at such great length to find and and hone it down to this eight week course. Uh, it, it was some of it was uh, quite quite difficult, but what I found in in going through all of this material was was what you just said actually early in the podcast about that clip of the, of the talk. How amazing is it that this material is so relevant today that he started talking about literally in the late 60s? How amazing is it that the relevance of what he's saying and um, and I'll tell you, I think that you you for this particular podcast, you sure picked a great excerpt because uh, I, I his his bringing the way that he brought together the concept of us dealing with suffering and dealing with people's pain and dealing with our own intention to be free and how that all works together. Uh, in terms of karma yoga, I think was uh, just one of the most valuable and essential uh, pieces of information that did that Tammy, that little ten minute piece alone uh, is worth the price of the whole thing, I think. Uh, so uh, i'm I'm really glad you played that because uh, the way that it brought together these different aspects of 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 what uh, is so important to us today, with so much suffering going on in this world, um, I think that that gives people a real vantage point to to see what they can do to change their 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 lives, change their hearts. So that Ramdas's big thing all along has been from the day that he came back from India the first time, and he started giving these talks, and he was told by Maharaji, "Do not say anything about me." And he did nothing but talk about Maharaji because he couldn't stop himself. He could not stop that uh, sharing. What he he just had that that tremendous intention to share what he got, and um, and I just I just think that that is so uh, transparent in all of these talks in this course that I think people will get a, a lot out of it, a lot a lot out of it. I've been speaking with Raghu Marcus, and he has worked with Sounds True to create a new online course called Being Here Now, The Essential Teachings of Ramdas. And that's an eight-week course that begins on September 19th. And you can visit SoundsTrue.com for more information. Also, as part of our conversation, we've been talking to Parvati Marcus, who has written a new book called Love Everyone, the transcendent wisdom of Neem Karoli Baba, told through the stories of the Westerners whose lives he transformed. 
I want to thank you both for being with us. Thank you for bringing the love. Thank you. Well, thank you, Tammy. Thank you. Thanks, Tammy. Soundstrue.com, many voices, one journey. Thanks for being with us. <laughs>